is our first live episode of Creating Magic Podcast. Yes! I'm like, I'm like so excited. This, this, this has been like one of the dreams since like, so the podcast turned four this year. Aw, so it's this so. many. I'm holding up four fingers because it's an audio podcast, <laughs> so the listeners will need to know. So we are here live from Literary Inc. in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Has anyone seen the Chattanooga Choo Choo yet? Yes, I stayed there. Wait, is that a real? Wait, like like, that's for real? Uh Yeah. Oh. (laughs) You can usually find it on the app Hotels Tonight for like fifty dollars a night during the off during like weird times. That's how I stayed there on tour. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Was for fifty dollars a night. (laughs) Okay. So now I regret not doing that. All I got was this super comfy, quaint Airbnb conveniently located to where we are right now. Next so. year, Chattanooga choo-choo. Yeah, I could have slept in a choo-choo. <laughs> it's fine. I petted a wolf today, and we got a picture together, and now we're best friends. So I'm pretty... pretty new album sad. cover. Yeah, new album cover. Definitely going to use that. So I am Danny. I am... One of the hosts of Creating Magic, my co-host, is not with us today. And today we are going to have a panel on Wizard Rock. So I have some beautiful guests here. So why don't each of you kind of introduce yourself and your Wizard Rock life? Okay. Steph, do you want to start? Sure, yeah. Uh, My name's Steph Anderson. Um, I am the lead singer, founder, everything of the Wizard Rock band Tonks and the Oars. Have been doing Tonks and the Oars since 2007, shortly after Book 7 came out. And, um, yeah, have never uh, announced a retirement or anything. I've continued to do it the entire time, unlike certain of my friends. (laughs) Wouldn't know. Um, I'm Jeff. Um, In the Wizard Rock community and the fandom community, I go by Dream Quaffle. Um, I have been doing music for as long as I can remember. Um, I've been doing Wizard Rock actively since about 2021 is when I started putting my stuff out. I mentioned before that it's kind of because of WZRD Radio that I'm here. The reason for that is because um, when I was just starting to host for Speak Beastie through MuggleNet, we did a crossover with WZRD Radio. And it was really cool because all the music that we put on that episode was all Fantastic Beast themed, which doesn't get the most love in Wizard Rock. It's on the newer side of things, and it's not everyone's favorite. I get it. But we did an episode of that, and we were talking about music in general and how Wizard Rock is something I've always known about, but not something I ever really did. So... Bess said, well, when are we going to get Dream Waffles Wizard Rock? And a light bulb goes off over my head that says, you know what? You haven't been avoiding this, but you haven't been trying it either. There's no reason that you shouldn't. There's no reason that you can't. So I started doing it, and in the last two years alone, the number of things I've gotten to do, the places I've gotten to go and perform, the people I've gotten to work with has just really been incredible. You guys are the timeline, like yeah. pretty close to it. Pretty close I to mean, it. I mean, it's interesting because um, at the beginning of Wizard Rock, which was pretty far back, you know, like 2002 is like the first hearing the Potter's songs. When I started my band, there was actually a divide of like 
bands that existed pre-book seven and bands that came up after book seven. So there were many, many years where I was like, oh, I'm this post-book seven band. Like, I'm not a big deal. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's come a long way because so many bands have come and gone in that time that it is pretty interesting uh, where we're at today. You know? mm-hmm. I think, I mean, you mentioned a post-book band. It's interesting how um, when you look at Wizard Rock, it really kind of goes through those phases like any other kind of music because you had the original Wizard Rock bands like Harry and the Potters, um, Brian from Draco and the Malfoys, who's here this weekend, and then you have uh, Matt Majacomo from uh, the Whomping Willows. They were uh, three of the big bands that really in the beginning kind of started the whole thing going. And then you've got the post-book bands, like what Steph just described. And then the generation that I'm in now are people who either weren't old enough to really do or understand what Wizard Rock was back when the books were still rolling out, or they're people who may be late to the fandom in general, or who have just become aware that this has happened, because there's other people out there that I work with pretty frequently, like um, Bisexual Harry, Candlewicks, Dots and Lines, um, just off the top of my head, um, TK of Totally Canuts has put out a tremendous catalog of Wizard Rock and has also kind of been at the helm of some of the bigger projects that have come out. Um, TK and I work together on something cool called the Wizrockopedia Compilation Club. That went for about two years. Steph, you you were on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we did four albums a year, so eight in total. Each album had a different theme, and they were uniquely curated albums of previously unreleased songs with a theme that only went out to subscribers. The artists were told that they could release the songs individually a year later, and now that the club has come to a close, they've all been told, you know, do whatever you like with the songs. But what was cool about that for me was that by the end of last year, I had been on pretty much every end of that project, because I served as the lead organizer for the first volume of last year so i got everybody together they they sent me the music and then we we put the album together and then i was able to contribute an original song for volume three which we actually called i think it was something like what hogwarts first class or first years i think it was first years but it was a bunch of people who were brand new they were part of that wizard rock revival generation (coughs) And then the last volume of the year ended up being our last one, period. We did a tribute to How Airplanes Fly, which is one of my favorite bands. And that one was kind of funny because I wasn't originally supposed to be on that one. I was supposed to be helping with the social media because uh, Brian from Draco and the Malfoys was supposed to be doing it. And he needed a little bit of help, so I was pitching in with that. And when I found out how many artists they still needed to make a full 10... I said, could I maybe do my favorite Howard Plains Fly song? And they said, yes, that would be great. And what's even cooler is Avery Marshall has heard it and told me how much they like it. So the fact that they acknowledged that my version of a song they wrote was good to them is something that really means a lot to me. Yeah, um... Uh, the current era of Wizard Rock is kind of exciting because there are more artists um, trying to make songs, you know, people even coming out of the woodwork to 
just do one song for a compilation or just get started. There's a lot of, I think in music in general, uh, cause I know for me as a fan of Harry and the Potters for a handful of years before starting my band is I would just sit there and go like, oh, I could totally do that. And then finally being like, I should, oh, I just wrote three songs in one night and have the ability to record it. So it's really interesting to see the evolution because there's definitely been some highs and lows within Wizard Rock. I think, you know, 2007 to 2008 was an exceptionally busy time period. There were a ton of tours happening. Um, even like Pottercast was going on tour and taking Wizard Rock bands on tour with them. Um, but then there's all these periods of like when the books started stopped happening, I was constantly asked like, what are you going to do now that the books are done? And it's like, well, there's this fandom. I was constantly saying like, Harry Potter is a fandom that will eventually, which I think it is now, be like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, where these just fans exist and have existed for a long time. And then I, you know, personally, I continue to tour and release music through that period. And then you get around the like 2013 period when the movies wrap and it's the same question. What are you going to do now that the movies are over? And it's like, I don't know, keep going on tour and playing my songs to all these enthusiastic audiences. Um, and so that's not to say that like going on tour was the easiest during some of those slower times. There's definitely like libraries that would be like, Oh, you know, we're not doing any Harry Potter stuff right now. Cause the movies are all done. Like there's less interest, but mm-hmm. now it has gotten to that like place in the zeitgeist that, you can be a wizard rock band playing a general sci-fi conference, which was not the case for a really long time. Sci-fi conferences kind of looked down at Harry Potter, but now I think they've... It's, there's a lot of crossover <laughs> yeah. now. Is like sci-fi, sci-fi and fantasy mm-hmm. are getting some major... Like, even in bookstores, fantasy's yep. not separate anymore. Sci-fi and fantasy are the same aisles at my Barnes yeah. & Nobles. Mm. And I think that's, you know... Um, a really cool thing to notice that you're like not getting looked down on to be invited or see Harry Potter content or people cosplaying Harry Potter at your local Comic-Con or whatever it might be called. So today it's really nice to see that Harry Potter has kind of like settled in there and that there are, you know, these older bands who have maybe either gone into retirement and come out of retirement and new bands kind of, supporting them that way um which is why like to put in a plug um uh like five years ago i created a micro grant program for musicians who are of marginalized gender called the yes all witches grant program and i just extended the um current application window so you have until the end of march to apply but if you're like I'd love to make music, but I don't have a microphone or I don't have an instrument or I don't know how to do any of this. The SL Witches program does that. We've given people guitars and microphones and training on how to use these things, which I, I mean, you mentioned TK, like Mm -hmm. one of the best things I've done for the fandom is help TK get a microphone because (laughs) TK's released like, just like hit the ground running and released like 
I don't know, 75 albums at this point, it feels like, and it makes me really excited every time there's another Totally Canuts album announcement, because I'm like, yes, yes, all witches did a good thing there. Like, <laughs> I agree, and just to kind of tie all that together into a neat little bow, just to kind of show you how interconnected all of these things really get, um, there's this thing that they used to do, I think they did it a couple of times, and then we, we brought it back last year we did a compilation album called rock swaps where everybody who wanted to be a part of it signed up and then they kind of pulled your name out of a hat and said okay you do a song by this person i got totally canuts and i <laughs> i came across a song on one of their earliest albums called they won't let my wand through airport security <laughs> And I listened to it, and if you know, if you've listened to Totally Canuts, it is very, very much their style. TK has a very, very sweet, very soft, very easy to listen to voice, and they play the ukulele very, very well. So with a lot of what they record, that's, that's what you're going to get. They've branched out and tried a lot of different things, which I respect because that's how I like to do it. I like to try different things that I've never done before, and to that end... When I saw that song title, before I even heard the song, I wanted to do a version of it. And when I listened to it, it just popped into my head, this feels like a country wizard rock song, which there isn't a ton of, and which is not the first thing people think when they think of me if they've met me before. But I do come from Indiana and Kentucky where there are a ton of country music fans. I've heard it. I get the gist. I think a lot of country music artists have pink hair. Do they? I don't think so. <laughs> Interesting. I will take your word for that because I like to believe it's true. But anyway, so I reached out through one of the channels that uh, Wizard Rock people have to keep up with each other these days is there's a very active Discord community for Wizard Rock. I reached out and I said, does anybody know somebody who can play the banjo? Because I need a banjo on this. And that connected me to Bradley Mellenbacher from Draco and the Malfoys, who unfortunately is not here this weekend. But Brian, I, I've gotten to know Br uh, Bradley pretty well, but Brian could tell you a lot more about him than me because they've been doing this thing together for years. But he and I start emailing back and forth. We put the song together. And then last year, when I find out Draco and the Malfoys are going to be at Denver LeakyCon, where I also performed, Bradley and I got to play that song on stage together which was incredibly cool. And if it hadn't have been for all the people in the community who reach out and help each other and play each other's songs and do shows with each other, then that whole experience couldn't have happened. But just from doing that one song, it led to so many cool experiences so far already. So with, so I know, at least from personal experience, is that what I know about the Wizard Rock fandom, I, I consider it like, not a separate fandom, but it's almost its own fandom. What about people that are just wanting to get... Because you, you all seem very interconnected. Mm -hmm. And on the, What about people who aren't connected to it yet, but want to find a way in and figure out like how to like start listening and where to find people and become part of that community? Like, those, like you guys have been playing on stage throughout the day in the vendor hall. Mm -hmm. What about those people who first time because they're walking through a vendor hall, are like, oh, what is this? I like this. Where do where do they go? I mean, Wizard Rock has been a hyper-internet-associated um, 
musical genre since its inception. Uh, like, I could write an entire thesis on how uh, Wizard Rock is what it is because only because of MySpace at that time period. I was hoping you were going to say MySpace. That, like, MySpace is where, like, legitimately all of this started. Um, but, yeah, I would just say, like, finding your favorite or the first Wizard Rock band that you have been associated with and finding them on social media if they're still active immediately opens up because, you know, we're, like, whether it's sharing each other's stuff on social, etc., but that then can open you up to the Wizard Rock Revival Facebook group, the Discord server, the podcast, the WZRD podcast that's happening right now. Like, there's so many outlets. Um, and Bandcamp, like, when MySpace went away, Bandcamp kind of became that place. So going to... Is the Compilation Club still on Bandcamp? The we, I think we're still trying to figure that out because... Okay. Um, the way we did it was people could not access any of the albums through the Wizrockopedia mm. Compilation Club unless they subscribe to it, okay. but obviously they can't do that now. Yeah. So we've told the artists they can release the music individually through their own channels, but I've been trying to get some of the other organizers who worked on the project like to think, what would they think if we put them out? Because on the one hand, we asked subscribers to pay $50 a piece for four albums spread out throughout the year. And if we just put them out there now, yeah. then it kind of... Because I was just going to say that like finding a band camp like that, like the Fandom Forward, which is a nonprofit, which used to be called the Harry Potter Alliance, they've put a lot of their compilations that are fundraisers onto... Bandcamp, and that might be a great place because it's a great collection of artists and songs that you can then kind of like follow them elsewhere, like find people. So, I mean, ooh, actually, yeah. um, I, I'm sorry, I think I may have misunderstood your question. Um, the Wizrocklopedia does have a Bandcamp page. Mm -hmm. It's separate from the Compilation Club. That was its own thing, but just like I've got it right here. These are just the albums that are on the Wizrocklopedia's Bandcamp right now. Those are albums that you can go in and get. I've got tons of them. It's a great archive, especially of musicians who have maybe moved on from Wizard Rock. So it's maybe less helpful to find the active people, but, you know, f following things like the Wizrocklopedia as well on oh, their yeah. socials, like, there's a lot of great spaces to get more interconnected and find more musicians doing wizard rock too and um the uh wizrocklopedia uh band camp profile has an album on it that when i i do a little bit of social media help for them so i found out when they were getting ready to release a very very popular wizard rock album there was a guy he put out like one five track album he calls himself mc creature and the album is called alone in the dark and it's probably one uh, it's probably the wizard rock like album that i have played the most but i just i can't help it who would have thought that this guy could write five rap songs from creatures perspective and it would be one of the coolest things i ever heard like i thought it was so cool it actually inspired me to think you know what i'm kind of on a roll with i never thought i could do this but now i'm doing this how about i try rapping 
turns out <laughs> I know how. And Stace from Swish and Flick says so. And if they say so, then that's good enough for me because they are an excellent rapper. Well, there's uh, that era of Wizard Rock is particularly cool because, like, MC Creature wa- is a like a filmmaker connected with other musicians, and so you have like these people exiting or just wanting to do something fun on the side, and they do it even though they're like just coming off of tour with an indie rock band that was signed to a major label, you know, things like that, that are, it's just a really interesting time period in that like 2006 to 2010 time period to like discover those songs. Cause you have that level, like people who have worked in actual recording studios or know how to master things, but also right next to it is, someone who literally just turned on their MacBook, used the microphone inside of the MacBook, and recorded their voice and guitar, and they have rabid followers at the same level mm-hmm. as, as those people who have really high production values, which is kind of the thing that I love. Like, I yeah. always tell people to, like, Harry and the Potters you got to see them live to, like, get it at yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I, I have a little bit of experience with that stuff. Like, I know the basics of, I don't really know if I know how to master. I wouldn't say that. I know how to record myself. Like, I know what to look for, what not to look for, what to do, what not to do, because my musical education in college did include some training in sound engineering. Fortunately, I went to a place where they give everybody at least a little bit of that. And between that and my podcasting experience, I figured out what I need, what I don't need. The rest has been experimenting. Because when you listen to the first EP that I put out versus the first album that I put out, and a lot of the singles in between, some of the stuff I've submitted for compilation albums, there are varying levels of quality, even like this far in. Not everything's going to sound the same. But it's like Steph said, that's one of the great things about Wizard Rock is that what it reminds you of is that you don't have to be perfect at this in order to do it. You just have to want to do it badly enough to try it, and people will get it. And it's interconnected enough that just like your example of Bradley volunteering to play banjo, you know, it's just being brave enough that when you need a certain specific help, like I, the only instrument I can't play on my albums is drums. I can't, I could play drums, but I can't record them to that quality. So getting a drummer for each one of my albums has always just been a matter of asking someone in wizard rock that i know is a drummer hey do you have a spare weekend to record all the drums for these album for this album and i don't always get a yes but i always have like all these people i can flow through in wizard rock that eventually i find someone usually Mm -hmm. um and as somebody who played music for a while before joining wizard rock that is so I can't tell you how different that is <laughs> from, like, the indie rock space, the playing open mics and just grinding through all of that. Um, it's it's really cool to just see people willing to help and volunteer or just say yes at times. 
What? Or say yes, all witches. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what would you both like to see for the future of Wizard Rock? Well, some of what you're seeing now, like what you what you really saw in the earlier days of Wizard Rock, and this is what I incorrectly assumed was just how it was being done, was not 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 even disrespecting or judging it. I actually thought it was cool people were doing it this way. I thought you pick a character, you name your band after the character, <laughs> you write the songs from the character's perspective. But I didn't look up enough examples to know, oh, you don't necessarily have to do that. That's just how a lot of people choose to do it. And it's fine, because I've written a lot of songs from different character perspectives, and sometimes even people who mostly do the same character will branch out and do that. Um, but it was either character-centered a lot more so, I would say, or it was, some of it is like musical fan fiction, like it's a lot of shipping, which put a pin in that, I'll come back to it later, it's gonna be important. Um, but it wasn't necessarily, what do I wanna say? It wasn't necessarily that angsty or that angry or that political, but a lot of what's being created now is kind of moving in that direction and it's, in response a lot of it to what's happening in the fandom right now it's not about as much about the fandom of like the harry potter characters that we love so much it's about the part of the fandom that we exist in it's about how we're reacting to and handling the situation that we as fans of this thing find ourselves in now and not just inside of the fandom i mean my album huffle riot and harry and the potter's album lumos came out two years after Donald Trump was elected president and both of those albums are heavily influenced by the Death Eaters being able to be front and center in America. So I think I think that <laughs> was like a kickoff so that then when everything that's happening around the creator of the book series is bullshit started it's just like all right we're ready our sword's already drawn like let's mm -hmm. let's <laughs> let's go <laughs> but yeah it was a um i think there's been an evolution of the fandom too from being young and bright-eyed and everything is perfect and we love everything about it to now being like we're this far in People have gotten entire master's degrees and written entire theses about the book series, the fandom, whatever it might be. And now it's like, oh, let's, let's really dig in here. <laughs> mm. And some of the people who um, are in Wizard Rock have even, um, they've either moved on because they just don't want to do it anymore or they've mm -hmm. moved on because they feel like they can't do it anymore. So there are some artists out there who will still play, you know, the old songs because they wrote them, they still like them. I mean, case in point, one of my favorite bands, The Blibbering Humdingers, they're doing an online concert on Sunday afternoon. And when they reached out to their fans over social media, they said, what do you guys want to hear us play? And I said, I know you guys have some complicated feelings about the whole situation with the fandom at the moment, but 
is there any way you could play Lily's Worst Memory? Which, just to give you a preview if you haven't heard it, is like their version of A Whole New World from Aladdin, except it's Lily and Snape trying to move past the fact that when he had his worst memory from Order of the Phoenix, she saw his dirty underwear. So, you know, comedy, funny. But I brought that song up because it's one of my favorite songs they've done, and I said, I know you guys might not feel the same way about this stuff anymore, but if you're cool with it, could you play it? And what they responded with was, we've decided that we're not going to be writing anything new, and even though that's how we feel about what's going on right now, we still like those songs. We wrote them when we felt that way about them and we still love them and we're not going to stop loving to play them for people who want to hear them just because of that some of the other people like i know that especially um avery marshall and lauren fairweather have kind of moved into matt majacomo from uh, the whomping willows as well they've moved into a post-rock phase where they're really focusing on writing other stuff right now and the stuff they're writing is just as good it's it's really incredible Lauren Fairweather has a really outstanding music. Uh, uh, she has an album of um, music inspired by The Magicians, because that's a fandom that they really, really like, um, called Peaches and Plums. And they'll still play some of the old Wizard Rock stuff whenever they do appearances. It's just the difference in actively pursuing opportunities to perform Wizard Rock. Like, Lauren Fairweather, I think, considers themselves a filk musician, not necessarily just a wizard rocker or nerd rock yeah nerd rock yeah. definitely the for pivot sure. to that and that's the same thing with the yes all witches grant program is i you know i would love for it to be no. only produ- helping produce new wizard rock um musicians but i am just excited for anyone who wants to make music about other things you know i love that concept of I love this thing so much that I want to write music about it. And so if that happens to be Harry Potter, great. Welcome to the Wizard Rock community. If it happens to be Harry Potter and Star Wars and something else, awesome. Like, I'm here for it. You can get down on some Hobbit rock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Steph, do you know, do the blibbering humdingers have Lord of the Rings Wizard Rock? Because I know they they span a a lot of different fandoms with with what they've created, which is part of why they they don't just play Harry Potter conventions. They they play sci-fi conventions, fantasy conventions, like all the nerd conventions. Yeah, I think they consider themselves a filk artist with Wizard Rock leanings. Um, You know, uh... So I would assume, but I they're also so prolific that I like <laughs> uh, can't. But I would highly recommend like if there's a fandom you're in that's sci-fi or fantasy related, they probably have a song about it. They're that they're good that way. Right. Like, <laughs> one of you to find folk artist first non-musician yeah filk is um a uh it came up in sci-fi and fantasy um fields or fandoms etc a long time ago like we're talking about like the 50s and 60s like the so filk is a play on folk so the whole folk music scene but basically um there's a lot of people that play like folk style cover music that is then parodied 
Um, so there's a lot of parody music in Filk, but there's also now a lot of originals. They get mad at you if you say it's only parody, but basically it's sci-fi and fantasy-inspired music, sometimes parodies, sometimes original. Okay. Mostly folk style, so acoustic guitars, etc. Um, not as much of the like DIY punk rock that was popular in wizard rock for a while. Yeah. And there are there are other it's not just like wizard rock that has discord communities or or other social media communities or like gathering places for people to come together and find people who are doing what they're doing. There's a particularly talented group of uh, musicians out there called the Bookish Songs Collective and there are two particular uh, musicians from that group that I especially enjoy. One is uh, Gio Maria. She, um, she, I mean, she does a lot of things. Like, she's really into anime. She's really into fantasy books. Um, she, I think even, she even does fantasy books, I think, that I haven't read yet. But um, she's, the fact that she does songs about anime, um, I think is really, really great because I feel like that particular like the anime community has that has musicians writing songs about it they tend to lean more electric than like rock bands mads buckley is another really great one she has an entire album of my hero academia songs and even if i didn't know anything about my hero academia i would swear that was one of the best albums i've ever heard in a long time um, but the other person from the bookish songs collective that i very strongly recommend um who is a friend and um a fan of the Grisha Reverse podcast that my best friend Juliana and I host is Kendra Dantes. And just to show you the the un the uh, unexisting limits of filk music, she wrote a song about a character from one of the Grisha Reverse books called Dirty Hands, and that song ended up getting used in an episode of the show Lucifer. Yeah, season six, episode one of Lucifer. There's a there's a Kendra Dante song that gets used in that episode called Dirty Hands. She wrote that song about a character named Kaz Brecker from a book called Six of Crows, which is actually uh, this tattoo right here. That's that's what this is. But I mean, filk music. It's really kind of where the inspiration seems to come from, I think, that gives people a rough idea of how they would probably define it. But as far as what they do with it. There's, there's really no limits on that. And people can, can do just about anything with it. Well, we are getting close to time. Does anyone in our audience have any questions? You don't have to. I have a question. Yeah. So I have a music background as well. Um, what music education, education, like, do you have any, like, formal music Training. Where did you learn how to do your wizard rock? I actually do have a degree in vocal performance from Indiana University, and I have a master's degree in choral conducting from Ball State University. Those are degrees that I pursued because I was passionate about what I was studying, and I'm glad I got them. They're not what I'm doing for a living now, but honestly, anybody who goes to college to get a degree to get a job these days, I'm sorry, but you're a sucker. <laughs> I'm not saying you won't get a job doing what you're studying. I'm not saying don't study what you love to study, but I'm saying if getting a job is the end game for you when you get a degree in anything, you're a sucker. Mm 
because there aren't that many out there. There just aren't. Also, if you're doing that, then you're taking something you're passionate about it and you're automatically going into it, turning it into your work. And if your passion is, you know, your bread and butter, if that's what you do, then that's fine. But it should never be about dollars and cents. Like, I don't make money doing this. I don't. Most of the time when I get the opportunity to go out and perform lately, it's been for this kind of event. I'm not performing this weekend, but I've got a couple of events on the books in the next couple of months that I am performing at. And when they ask me, what do I want as far as compensation? I really don't ask them for much because it's not what I need. Money isn't something that I really care that much about. And all I really care about is the opportunity to go places and share this cool thing that I love with other people who also like it. But to get back to what you actually wanted to know, um, my musical background, it's funny you mentioned having training because after a while, when you sit with your own instrument, whether it's the one in your hands or the one in your body, you just, you, you grow with it, you change with it. So it's kind of like when your body changes, you just kind of become used to it after a while and it becomes kind of hard to notice the difference unless you see like a concrete example of that's what it was, this is what it is now. Like I've heard recordings of myself singing from when I was in high school versus now, and I can notice a difference. But if I just picked up a guitar and started singing now, I wouldn't really think there was much change. So a lot of times it's hard to perceive how things like that prepare you for things like this. But um, Jill, Brian's girlfriend, who's here with him this weekend, uh, she's vending some of her really beautiful stuff that she's got out there in the hall. She said after she heard me perform at LeakyCon in Denver that that was actually her first thought when she heard me singing. She said, that person has training, which was a great compliment because it means the training stuck. Even if I don't think it does, it obviously is something other people can pick up on. But, I mean, we've already said, even if you don't have that, it can be useful, but it's not something that's necessary to have if it's something that you want to try. But it can't hurt either. I mean, the more, the, it's, it's one of my mentors in grad school told me that it's all about putting as many tools in your tool chest as possible. You might not need them all at the same time. You might not even know you need some of them until it comes around. But the more you have to work with, then the more you will be prepared to do when it does come up. Uh, to answer your question, which I believe was what my musical training <laughs> was, um, it, I, um, I took guitar lessons from age 11 to 17, basically. Um, and I would say that probably five years of those lessons were wasted because I didn't practice, but um, it is what it is. Uh, I have regrets. I was 11. What do you want? But um, <laughs> I relate to that. Um, so yeah, I, I took guitar lessons and anyone who wants to learn, especially a stringed instrument, be it like guitar or ukulele, I usually do recommend taking some lessons just to help yourself not get into bad habits. Um, and I study and I was in like orchestra and I took some music theory courses in college but like those were in addition to I have a stage management background and um, my stage management degree um, 
is how I was able to go on tour. So did it influence me playing music? No. Did it enable me to book a tour and make sure I don't lose a ton of money? Yes, it did do that. <laughs> yeah. So so for me, it's more, um, you know, again, like what's in your toolbox, not creating some bad habits for you. Um, anything vocally that I know is from having to stage manage musicals and sit in on like choral calls. But, um, but yeah, I, I would say if it's something you want to do and make sure that you can get good at it, take a couple of lessons. You don't have to commit to like seven years. Don't even have to expect to walk away being like a virtuoso. Nobody's expecting anyone to be the next Eddie Van Halen when they walk out of guitar lessons. Mm. But being more confident, being able to play certain chords definitely worth it so and you can always get better at stuff one of my favorite things about LeakyCon Denver was um, one of the people I didn't know I was going to get to meet but I did was there was this old guy with long white hair like he looked like one of those guys who has been playing metal for about 50 years and he has because that gentleman was Brian's father who as it turns out is a professional guitar teacher and while we were there, a bunch of us were all jamming together in a Wizard Rock Cafe that Brian put together. And afterwards, his dad said, can I show you a few things? And he actually helped. And Steph mentioned some of those bad habits. He noticed some of my bad habits and the approach that he took to, may I you know, offer you the opportunity to improve on this instead of just saying, hey, by the way, um, you kind of messed up on this. This is what it's supposed to look like. That proves that not only does he know what he's talking about, but he knows the right way to communicate it because I cannot overstate the value of good teachers. Good teachers are the best. Some of the best people that I know that are musicians today are ones that are self-taught, scare quotes, through the internet so you're not self-taught if somebody on the internet is teaching you via video in my opinion but they use videos to learn how to play guitar or ukulele but then like two three years in they start taking in-person lessons and that's like the you just level up your game that much more i also was fortunate enough that my dad was uh like minor musician, band booker, etc. So he got me like a little like recording setup when I was in high school. So I was just exposed to some of those things, but the internet is full of stuff. The internet can teach you how to record your albums. Your iPad comes with GarageBand automatically on it and you can record an entire album in GarageBand. Like you don't need to invest in anything bonkers. So no. And GarageBand is pretty user friendly. As mm -hmm. as far as stuff like that goes, like you can you can figure it out usually pretty easily. But I agree uh, with what Steph said. There's no I, I, there's no such thing as self taught. You may be self learned. You may have learned it independently, but someone or something somehow taught you, because you can't learn something from nobody or nothing. That that's that doesn't exist. All right, well, that is our time. Thank you both for joining me up here today. And until next time, keep creating. <laughs>